0: Welcome to Performance Anxiety. This week we speak with Cole Guerra. He's the driving force behind I Am Casting. He's also a psychologist. So we talk about how that influences his songwriting. We talk about how his songwriting influences his psychological work. We also talk about his new album, Carnival Barkers, how he soundproofed with an ironing board and recorded it with a busted microphone. We also talk about the time he went touring with his band and played right in the middle of Heavy Metal Night in Baltimore. So please check out the new album, give him a follow on social media, I Am Casting Music. Give us a follow at Performance ANX on Twitter and Instagram, and check out our shop at performanceanx.threadless.com, and give us a rating and review wherever you listen, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever it is. All it does is help us out. So please enjoy this episode of Performance Anxiety with Cole Guerra of I Am Casting.
2: This is Cole Guerra from I Am Casting. hope you'll check out my new album called Carnival Barkers. Had a good time here on Performance Anxiety with Mark.
0: All right. Well, it's a pleasure to meet you. It's good to meet you, Mark. And I appreciate you coming on and and talking to me about uh, your music and, and your experience as a professional musician.
2: Yeah, thanks. I, I appreciate you uh having some interest in talking about the album. Oh gosh, it's my pleasure.
0: It's my pleasure. Um uh, it, it's really interesting. It's not it's it's uh it's different than what I normally listen to, but I I, I like it a lot.
2: Well thank you. Yeah, when I hear the word interesting to start a corset It's <laughs> yeah. never a good word anywhere, but uh yeah. Yeah. I'll re- I'll read it positively. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Please do because it's
0: I usually I listening to the stuff that's a little heavier. Uh, so it's, it's uh, that that's what I meant by that. So I didn't be. Yeah, hopefully, yeah, no, no, <laughs> so, and I've got my notes. You,
2: I, been, I don't, this will be a little unfair. <laughs> I can't, I can't reach my Skype. I'm just like, cause I'll be risking. Go ahead. All right, good.
0: Well, that's what music is. That's what music's all about. Risk, right? Taking some risks. Like I said, I did listen to the album and I was really intrigued by it. It's really, um, like I said before, it's, it's, Different than what I normally listen to, but it was so good. And you have a, a band that plays with you, or is it you doing all the music yourself?
2: So on the on the recording itself, um, you know, most of it's me. So there's a all the tunes I think have there's drums, for instance. There's eleven tunes, all of them have drums, but only there's a, a drummer other than me playing uh, on two tracks. Okay. There's a bassist playing on one track. So Stephen Kaufman's a drummer, a guy named Pete Kimosh, who I used to play with live a bunch. Uh, he went on tour with me a number of years ago for a while. He played bass on one tune um, uh, called Seams, which is the closer on the record. Uh, Stevens on that one as well, playing drums. Uh, there's a couple horn players on a couple tunes. And I th- oh, cool. yes. think that's it. everything else on there is me so all the keys the the all the guitars you hear in the bass um the percussion so i don't really play a kit i don't really play drums so that's me um basically doing the the um sort of with my hands on a on a, on a midi keypad sort of situation okay. um but i kind of knew what i wanted uh, uh the tunes are actually kind of written in part with a lot of influence of, of whatever I'm doing with the drums, which is weird since I'm not a drummer. That's one <laughs> of the reasons I didn't actually have a drummer on this record. So my last record a while ago under, under, put out under my name, Colguera, Guerra, that one has, you know, a drummer on all the tracks, a great drummer named Steve Goulding, uh, JD Foster is playing bass throughout the record. Um, but this one actually playing drums or, you know, pseudo playing drums, playing bass, that actually shaped how I wrote the tune. So it became part of the songwriting process. And if I'd had another drummer, I couldn't have done that. Ah. Typically, if you have another drummer, I would have been writing the tunes on a guitar or keyboard. Right. And then, and then in my head, I would kind of know what I wanted arrangement wise, but I'd be bringing the tune to them more or less. Okay. And, And then they would be kind of, you know, adding drums, their own thing. Some of what I might point them towards, but, um, which is great. I mean, they're bound to be better drummers than I'm, I'm going to be, but, but the song would have been the same. Cause it really did, it really did create a lot of direction in terms of what the tunes ended up sounding like. So you probably noticed there's a lot of percussion on the record. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of percussion. And, and, and so yeah, it's sort of weird. There's only yeah, just a drum, a drummer playing other than anything I'm doing on one, on one of them. So yeah, it's, it's it, for better or for worse, it's mainly me on there.
0: So that you've, your first album came out several years ago, and you used mm-hmm. your name, Guerra, right. as, as and this album's coming out under the moniker I Am Casting. Yeah. Uh, so what was the uh, reason for the change, and how did you determine that you are going to use the name I Am Casting?
2: So I'm definitely not going to go with your your keep it light here. This is very serious. Should have started with some.
0: Oh man, I screwed up already. These are
2: the, these are the deep questions, right? Um, <laughs> so, uh, um, well, it had been because it's been a number of years. A couple of things happened. One, I, I mentioned just a couple minutes ago, the way I'm writing tunes really changed. So when I used to write tunes, I, I would. Basically, construct them at a keyboard, or, you know, a piano, or with my electric or acoustic guitar in my lap, and I'd be weeks or months, sort of putting that tune together, and then arranging and bringing it to other musicians and so forth, and then going to the recording. You go know, going to the recording studio's last thing. You know, I was in yeah. that last record was recorded, tracked in a in a, a really great, you know, New York studio. Uh, finished off back here in North Carolina, mixed here in North Carolina. I mean, so couldn't have been, you know, um, more fortunate in terms of that setup, but it really lends itself to a very different way of writing tunes. So I became way more interested in this, um, this process that I only stumbled on a couple of years ago. And it's because I knew nothing about home recording stuff. And I, I basically, um, after a few years, literally playing nothing, I wasn't playing guitar. wasn't playing keyboard for maybe reasons we'll come back to, but, um, I, I actually got back into it because a friend of mine who mixed the last record and who mixed this one as well, his name's Ian Schreier. I just started talking to him about recording equipment and doing it on my own. And I end up, you know, buying a laptop, your kind of basic digital audio workstation, you know, a DAW, uh, a MIDI keyboard, a mic. I mean, believe it or not, before this, I didn't even have a vocal mic. I mean, everything was at the studio, a go-to. Ah, yeah. So I bought enough that I could just basically spend a month or two figuring out if I could figure out how to do something on my own. And what happened was that, that got me just interested again in songwriting. I just, I really hadn't been really motivated to do much for a few years. And I got really into the process of, of, writing and tracking this way because what ended up happening was to learn the software. I'd be like, well, all right, I'll, uh, I'm going to play or I'm going to play just a progression. I make something up on the fly here on the keyboard. Right. right. And I'd be like, all right, let, Hey, there's some virtual instruments. Uh, let's make sure I can figure out how to do this. And I'd record it. And, I, and, and instead of laboring over it for weeks, I'd be like, Oh, I kind of like the sound of that. And then I'd be like, well, uh, let's see what the virtual drums sound like. Right. right. And then I would, I would, find some uh, sounds i like to kit that sounded okay to me that i can make sense of and then i would play something just a you know like a verse worth of of drums or or, or percussion of some sort okay and for some reason it totally unlocks something i would play those and i like oh now i can f-. it created i guess a feel it was like oh now I, c- I know what this song is now and and then that would propel me into a next section, whether there was a chorus or a bridge and I do it the same way. So I was writing in these chunks and then just committing to it almost like more of an improv thing. Like, okay, I've written these four or five bars, screw it. I'm not going to do my usual anal eight week reworking <laughs> of those four bars. I'm, I'm going to actually start layering shit on top of that. So the texture, the feel became way more important to me. And that just kicked off like a year, year and a half of writing Um, I mean, the whole, the 11 tunes on this record were all written in like basically a one year span, like middle of 2016 through middle or end of
0: 2017.
2: Okay. Um, And so coinciding with that, all the election stuff was happening. So on the one hand, I was getting back into songwriting, uh, just the music piece, which almost always comes before lyrics for me. Um, And then uh, the, the nomination process was happening. Trump was leading the pack. I was scratching my head, you know, uh and but it was, you know, and at that point just great fodder for ideas for songwriting. So I wrote a tune or two that I think had some of these themes about like it just um like the way in which people can be influenced in pretty malignant ways and maybe exploiting that sort of fear of 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 the other sort of thinking about the immigration or, or, or race ethnicity issues that were coming up even 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 then you know right. now of course it's all exploded um, and once I wrote one I think it was flood maybe one of the tunes on the record I just realized okay I, I can I almost could just see an album I was like all right I, which struck me as more interesting this conceptual you know album thing where it's like okay. I'll do, whether it ended up being nine tunes or 12 tunes, I wouldn't sure how many tunes it'd be, but I want all the songs in some way to be relevant to themes that that are popping out around this. So not so much about politics or policy, but more about the psychology of how sort of this social influence process, um, how uh, the title of the album, Carnival Barkers, how um, sort of this sales pitchy, kind of, you know, persuasion selling is everything. I don't even know if the substance matters to some of the people doing the pitching, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and then on the other side, uh, there's a few tunes that are more about what would it be like to be on the other end of this, to be someone who is, you know, one of the tunes is called helpless. That's a pretty straightforward title. So about powerlessness or helplessness. So on the one hand, it's sort of this grifter uh, Pied Piper theme stuff a few of the tunes are very much about like the Smarmy Pied Piper, like in it for money or revenge. I mean, in the real Pipe Piper story, he doesn't get paid, right? They get the original Pied Piper Hamlin, dude doesn't get paid. And then he right, goes and he, right, yeah. he, he, he gets the kids, you know, for revenge, yeah. which I think is also pretty relevant to how certain people seem to think. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so it, it kind of was a way in for me to the songwriting again. And I knew that unlike previous stuff I'd I'd done, I just, I like the idea of it being not like a concept record, but, but like a thing, a project almost. So I almost thought of I am casting in a way as kind of a project. And then, and then I realized, well, actually, I kind of like this approach. It's totally different than I used to do. I don't really see myself as a conventional like singer songwriter, which has a lot of I don't know. It seems to activate a lot of images for people of what kind of music it'll be. And I don't really think of myself like that. Okay. Uh, I, I just don't want to, pick, I guess maybe I'd rather not be, I'd rather their assumptions not be made. I am casting. You hear that. And what the hell is that? I mean, yeah, yeah. whereas you hear a name, and I think it may do more to activate assumptions. And so I like that. I like the anonymity of it. Uh, I like the idea that you don't know, are you about to put something on? If you haven't been exposed to my music, is it more band-like? Is it a solo thing? Um, And I like this project-like view of it. Um, And so I could imagine the next thing I've already started writing now, sort of post-album as this comes out, and I think the same thing, probably would be a thematically linked, be different, but some thematically linked sort of project thing. Now, I may invite other musicians to record with me. I mean, I still play live with you. I love, I mean, playing live. I, I don't think I could ever play live solo. It's just not yeah. really interesting because <laughs> well, first the arrangements are too dense Yeah, and I, I, I don't know enough about technology to be the guy looping 50 things. And I need the, uh, I need, so, so I have friends in town who play with me and maybe, maybe some of them will show up on the next record.
0: Are you planning on touring with this album? And if, if you are, how do you go about picking uh, musicians to play with you since most of it was done on your own.
2: Last time it was a no brainer. When I did it a few years ago, the I'm under my own name, the, the Scarves and Knives record, it was pretty straightforward. I knew I needed a tour. I would go out. I think the longest where well, I would take some, that I could do solo. I could, could do solo and I could take people out. And it was, this, it was a core of like three other people would go with me and we'd go out for two weeks and then a week, week and a half, and then another, I think, two weeks. So maybe a total, I don't know, of like six to eight weeks, uh, something like that. But actually, a chunk of that was solo. I think they only went out with me twice, and then the rest of that was me going on the road solo a bunch. Okay. Frankly, because I couldn't afford it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just too damn expensive. Um, it's not like I was drawing tons, tons to these shows, not enough to constantly be paying people to, to come out. So, right. um, this time's different uh, for a couple reasons. One. So the honest, so a few of the musicians who I really like and are great down here actually heard some of this music and just kind of shake their heads and like, how are we going to do that? I mean, so there is this component <laughs> of how are we going to do this? Right. Um, that's a little tricky. And and the other thing is because I now, you know, unlike then, I really, I kind of have this two path thing going. I, I, so I'm a working psychologist. Right. And so so the idea that, I'm going to be able multiple times to pick up weeks and, and go out is not super realistic. And the touring life, especially when you're indie, you know, sort of whether label or not is not, you know, it's, a, it's a, it can be a hard, hard thing to do. I've experienced that. Yeah. And um, so I, I think the actual touring thing, I'm going to do my approach early on is just to do some local stuff and the occasional, it's an out of town thing but that won't even start until april may i'm not timing it like you know people around here are like oh when's the album release party when are you going to do the album release in new york after that like last time i did a uh a, a, a show a place called the living room in new york mm-hmm. that was my like release in new york and then i had a release in north carolina It was very kind of traditional stuff and it's like i'm not doing a release so so i think i'm gonna wait a month or two. Hopefully word gets out about the record. So there's more of an audience since I am casting is new. It's not right. like there's some audience built in waiting to see me. Um, and as that builds play more shows. And if it seems to make more sense to actually take the band on the road, I do it, but I'm not convinced that opportunity is going to be there. Yet. I have a feeling It'll be just a few shows in the markets I used to do, you know what I mean? Northeast, maybe some Midwest, Chicago, whatever, um, Chicago, Detroit, that kind of, so yeah, pocket the Midwest and the Northeast. And then where I live now, which is Durham. So uh, Durham, Chapel Hill, Raleigh area. And I don't know, the live thing is, is frankly lost some of its uh, uh, appeal to me. Um, and I think part of it's going to be do how, how much do people seem to be interested in hearing this live? And then I'll do it.
0: Now you mentioned that you're a working psychologist. So uh, let, let, I want to, let's talk about that a little bit. How did you, what came first, I guess the interest in psychology or your interest in being a musician?
2: It actually was, um, I wish I had a clean answer for this. I mean, I do have an easy answer for this, but it's not one of the others. Both happened at about the same time. I was in my, uh, I was actually <clears throat> in my mid twenties. So, Up to that point, I wasn't like, I didn't, when I was in college, I had not, I think I took one psychology class. I was not a psych major. Okay. Um, I played music since I was a little kid um, and piano real early guitar starting late in high school. But I never thought of like, you know, writing an album or being a musician or a songwriter. I I was involved in sort of the arts or creative stuff, but it was all theater. i have been doing theater for years. I was taking that pretty seriously actually. So oh, okay. someone had asked me at, you know, 10 or even 18, 19, oh, if you're doing something artistic, you know, what would it be? It would have clearly been, oh, I'll be acting. I'll be in New York or I'll be in Chicago. Or I'll be in LA. And so music was like an adjunct thing. I could, you know, I, I did it. It was entertaining. And then when I realized I didn't want to do theater, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. My use of the of the piano and the guitar was to be able to pay my rent. So I basically, you know, five days a week would, you know, when I was 22, 23, 24, basically, yeah. Most days of the week you would find me at some bar being that person playing tons of covers. And that's, that was my rent money. You know, Uh, I'd sneak in and I'd sneak in an an original tune or two. uh, But my tunes were, you know, sure. They kind of sucked. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I, I don't know if I would have wanted to hear. And, and then what happened was I uh, I decided. So I was like I don't know twenty four or something like that. And, and I kind of realized I won't get into this because it's takes way off subject. That I did want to do the psychology thing. And I was just kind of in my own living room, starting to write more on the guitar. Okay. And I was like, oh, this is kind of fun, but still not thinking about it like a you know like a real thing. And I, I, I moved. I've been in the Midwest my whole life. So, you know, Detroit area, Ann Arbor for school, Chicago, and then came down to Durham, where I've been since. And I was, I think, I don't know, a, a year into grad school. And uh, I haven't thought about this in a while. So there's a there's a uh, I was a, I was a grad school down here at Duke and down the street is UNC, okay. got to know some UNC folks. And the first year, uh, like me, a first year grad student in psychology over at UNC, I got introduced to him because he was a musician in the area. His name's Richard Hicks, Ricky Hicks, and he was in a band called Finger, which is really big around here, toured nationally. I mean, really, really good band. This would have been that would have been like when were they a band? The nineties, like the mid. So, I think it was the nineties band. So there's a lot. He was really involved in like the nineties scene or whatever. Okay, okay. so. Anyhow, so he's like, uh, oh, we started talking, hang out. I played a couple times just, you know, over his place. Come over. He's like, oh, you know, you should really record some of this stuff. And um, I got a friend who has a studio, you know, town over, a small town called Mebben. Okay. You know, not too expensive. You should do it. And I was really thinking, yeah, you know, someday when I'm 85 and grandkids will have my tunes. You know what I mean? yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I went over there, tracked a bunch of songs over a brief period of time. And just progressively, as I did it, got more and more into it. And I thought, you know, it was kind of like, oh, maybe I can. So, so I basically, you know, printed up some, you know, got some CDs together. This wasn't a real, I mean, I wouldn't even, it's not like I would be like, go get this. It's, you know, it's nothing. But, but what it did was it allowed me to go play, not just locally, but I went back up to Chicago and Detroit and Ann Arbor. I went out to New York. Uh, I actually met the guy who. I. Um, uh, produced a record of me named J.D. Foster did Scarves and Knives because I invited him to a show out in New York. He came. Uh, I, was, you know, I was pretty regularly going up there to play in the living room or a place called Fez Under Time. and okay. So it was just, just kind of happened. So the sort of psychology thing was happening as the music thing was happening. And the music thing got serious enough where I decided I'm going to record this record with J.D. I'm going to come out to New York And I'm even going to take a leave from the psychology program. I'm going to see if I can make a go of this. I recorded Scarves and Knives, toured, you know, I was doing some stuff with psychology to keep my foot in the door enough uh, towards the program. Um, But really I was a couple of years more or less just away from it, toured, and then realized I got to make a choice. If I'm going to finish the psychology thing, I got to finish it now. I wasn't sure how much traction I had with the music thing, you know? Yeah. And um, so I psyched, so basically I dove back into psychology, which I loved. I mean, I loved the, you know, the clinical thing. But what I found was once I stopped the music for a while, it was really hard to pick up, sit at the piano without being, I don't know, not, not, not down is not quite the word. It just didn't, it didn't interest me. I don't know. If I wasn't going to do it, like really do it, it just kind of lost its shine for me okay so that that was it so it's both at the same time i'm sure there's stuff about what interests me so that both of those things appeal to me and they clearly influenced one another each other i mean what i do with psychology clearly influences you know i'm sure what i'm doing with music most obviously some of the lyrical stuff and you know i don't know the other way around what happens but um but yeah, so that was kind of the path. So now I'm, I, I am, you know, the working psychologist thing. But like I said, a couple of years ago, I kind of decided to dive back in and see if I could pull both these things off. Well, this is hilarious. Is <laughs> this is really funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's get, it'll get lighter and lighter. <laughs> this, is all the deep, this is all the deep shit. We'll circle yeah. back around. Again.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We'll, we'll get to the funny eventually. And, and I, I don't have my drink with me, so it's, uh, you know, that's my fault. <laughs> now, now you said you did a lot of the, and I guess we're, we're gonna. You got to forgive me. I'm kind of going back and forth into different topics and all, and all. So that's that's it's just whatever. You when you say something, it, it might it'll spark something in my head and I'll be, But you you mentioned uh, recording in different ways and, and approaching the albums differently. When you record on your own, you're doing things like double tracking vocals. and stuff how hard is it to to keep track of of what you're doing and and keep everything in organized when you're doing it by yourself?
2: Um, well, that I'm, I'm, that I'm okay with. I actually, uh, you know, I'm thinking about the vocals specifically. So there's a lot of harmony. I think actually I don't, maybe it's easier. I don't need to keep track of the double track. I don't have any vocals that are double tracked okay. meaning, meaning, meaning where you get that effect of, you know, the double track sound sort of thickens the voice. All my lead vocal stuff is just one it's just a take, you know, or it might be a few takes I've smushed together, but I mean, it's not a double, it's not a double track. But yeah, I mean, there might be three, har- you know, a couple harmony lines with it. And then obviously there's tunes with multiple overlapping guitars or keyboards or whatever. Um, I actually find that that's, that's the fun part for me. I don't know. I I, I actually like the, that texture stuff. I mean, it is... You have to be, I don't know if I, you know, I don't think I have a real attention issue. I don't, I don't struggle fortunately with, you know, ADHD or anything. I imagine that would be, that, that would be really tough. The software nowadays, I got to say, makes it so easy to track that stuff. At least the stuff that I, I went with, I bought, it's this thing called Studio One. I don't know. I I find it pretty, pretty straightforward and um, I haven't gotten lost yet. And I haven't lost anything yet. That's the bigger thing. I haven't accidentally destroyed <laughs> stuff, um, you know, uh, but um, I think the danger more is that it's because I, I don't have a budget. Like you go to a studio and you're like, I mean, you're watching like money's going by, right? And yeah. so, so so the danger for me is not so much like, will I get lost? Like literally, can I find what the hell's going on? But rather, will I get so like in my head that, you know what I mean? Like, come on, stop already. Yeah. You know, there's just too many possibilities, right? I could, I could track forever. Yeah. Um, no one's, right? There's no monetary. The spare bedrooms. I'm not renting my own spare bedroom, right? I'm not, you know, right. so, yeah. um, so I don't know. I think, I think the bigger thing with this recording process that can get, I guess, dangerous is I get too, too immersed in all the possibilities and, and, and lose sight of when shit should be let go. Uh, it just it. So, but I haven't, I haven't managed to lose track of stuff. No. Well, that's good. <laughs>
0: that's good. Uh, now you mentioned that you know, you, your uh, degree in psychology and, and being a psychologist will have an effect on your songwriting, you know, but does, is there, does it work the opposite way? I guess is what is what I'm asking. Does do you incorporate anything from your musical career into your psychology profession? And I'm not sure exactly how you would do that. So I guess that's why I'm asking.
2: Yeah. Well, if it is, it's not direct. I mean, there, you know, there's music therapy or people who integrate or, you know, bring in, in, in sort of, you know, maybe a major way, maybe it's a tiny way they bring music into therapy as a therapeutic tool, maybe. Mm-hmm. So I don't do any of that. So that's, so that would be the most straightforward, you know, obvious, Oh, you bring your music. I don't do any, but, but there's none. There's literally none of that. Right. Um, I don't think, I mean, my clients don't, uh, my individual sort of uh, uh, clients, I don't think know at all that I do this. Um, so uh, sort of like several protective layers yeah. of stuff. Um, but, uh, but I mean, who knows, maybe not. But um, I imagine, though, you know, just everyone has their lived experience, right? And mine involves both a lot of exposure in the music world and musicians and 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 the world of people in that, and then even with theater, um, having done that from a very young age through my early twenties, I, I probably benefit just from the exposure to a lot of 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 that, either whether whether it's thinking in different ways, like creatively, or just being with you know people who might not gravitate towards other professions I would otherwise be, you know, tracks that I would be interacting with, so just having greater exposure to that probably helps my clinical work in some way. It's hard to put a, a, a real, um, a real finger on what exactly how it would show up though. So yeah. yeah. Cause
0: so there's no like concrete answer. They can't, it's not, a, yeah. Like, Oh yeah. I'm always like, like you're saying, it's, I'm, you're not, Hey, listen to my new album <laughs> for you, for party your- here. Oh sure. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. yeah.
2: And, right. And I'm sure, by the way, and I know there are like it, there are people who, you know, might really bring pretty directly music into the therapy situation. It's just the stuff I do, which is a lot of like trauma work with PTSD, uh, anxiety, relevant stuff, OCD. I mean, the stuff that tends to work there, it's not, not a lot of research on music therapy for that. You know, like that's just not what I do. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I don't know. It's There's got to be some link. To, I tell you, there's at least – there's a few other people I know, I'm sure it's any profession, who are, have been in psychology, are just friggin' amazing musicians. I mean, so there's clearly – it's not like, you know, some – even in this local area in Durham, like I know people who are both in psychology and just are, you know, incredible players or songwriters. So, yeah. I don't know, whatever that's worth. And I'm definitely not <laughs> the only one with both with, – with the shared interest. <laughs> yeah.
0: When you're writing your lyrics, do you ever analyze them a little too much? I mean you're saying you you get into the technical aspects of producing and and the layering and all that and you can get it's easy for you to get bogged down in that, but do you ever look at what you've written and be like, the hell was I thinking or and, and start to analyze
2: your own work <laughs> um uh okay, yeah, yes and no, so one thing I tend to avoid i don't do narr- i don't do um I don't know if you had enough, you may not have had uh, uh, enough time with the record to notice this, but there's not like, uh, there's no narrative exposition. My songs are not, um, like, here's what happened, verse one, you know what I mean? They don't work that way. Right. Um, So one thing is it's hard to read them. I know that a listener is not, like, tracking some linear, just like I'm not, you know, some progression and narrative. So I don't need to be concerned. There's not that, right? Right. There's more like, um, as long, so I write lyrics, I think I mentioned earlier, always after the music. Or Mm -hmm. in this case, more, I would have a bed of kind of rhythmic and maybe chordal stuff I liked, and I'd be kind of standing by the microphone. I mean, this is stuff I never would have been able to do before. It was pretty, I loved it. You know, just, I would just stand there and I would, I would loop and just kind of hum and certain words would just tend to fit. I mean, the way I tend to write is I'm not even really thinking about it other than a general idea. And I don't know, I just, da, 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 and then some words seem to fit. Okay. And if, if I can tweak those words to, and it somehow resonates like to to one of these themes I knew I wanted to write about, like all right that's gonna be the song, and I just kind of work around that oh, wow. um okay. and so i'm self conscious about I can get analytical about lyrics in the sense that i don't okay i don't write like i don't like writing them <laughs> but um and and then but i don 't want to be cliche. Right. So I think my so even though I don't like writing them. I don't I don't end up um, just kind of writing whatever because I'd be I feel like in, I don't know like I get embarrassed. I can tell when I have a reaction to something I write down. Like oh god, you know. So it's pretty quick for me when I know that I think it's just shit. Yeah. And so I kind of like the sound of the words is as important to again. I'm not looking for a story. I'm not looking for a narrative. So it really is. Do, 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 is something about almost like more like the poetry, like when I sing it with that particular melody, do the words just do they kind of make sense to me? And then yeah, I want to be able to look at it and go, no one else could have written like this is just like this the sequence of these words, nobody else is gonna do this. Yeah. You know, that's but but usually where like, they're not gonna do that. And um and then yeah, does it just, just can I can I you know, can I argue to myself that there's some sense to it, that it's not just words, right? There's gotta be something there that I could, I could see where, you know, this all makes sense together, even if it's not narrative. Okay. So you're
0: you're looking at the lyrics more musically than having a meaning first.
2: Right. If it doesn't, I could write, like I've never written, I don't think, man, this sounds like a bold statement, but I think it's true. I don't think I've ever written a line and then put music to it. Okay. Like I've never written a lyric and then thought, oh, that's that's a cool lyric. I'm going to write a song. I hear, that's a great, that's going to make a great chorus. Let me do right. like. And I know people do that. People do that. I, I cannot do that. So for me, it's always, there's some progression, some feel, there's some melody and maybe the words happen at the exact same time as the melody, but there's some musical thing happening there. and And then a particular lyric might, might hook me. Uh, and then, and then again, then I will pay more attention to lyrics. Like it'll come with the melody. And once it does come, I don't get, because of the way I write it, I don't get too, I I don't get too editing driven. I'm actually better with it. Once I get it down there, I can tell like, okay, I'm okay with, I'm okay with that. And, um, hopefully people will make sense of it and, uh, you know, go from there. And, you know, as long as I don't make me wince, I mean, I definitely have a wince but. you know th- there's that, but but I think I've done it enough that I don't often actually write something that makes me wince. I used to do it a lot, so as long as it clears that hurdle, uh, <laughs> then you know it's fine
0: right. well, who are your musical influences growing up? I was trying to as I was listening, I was trying to pick out some of them on my own just to see if i was if I was accurate. I came up with some like Genesis Peter Gabriel's influences, maybe some Billy Joel, but I also heard in and maybe it was more of your your Vocal style. I, I heard some Donald Fagan, for sure. Am I accurate with any of those, or are you just? Yeah,
2: I, I'll take it. Well, I'll take it from the um, the back forward, right, back to back to front because okay. it's easier. I can say for the last one for sure. No, um, I don't think I've listened to any. I think I've heard. Um, I feel bad saying this. I just being honest. I don't think I've heard more than half a Steely Dan tune in my life. You know, in my life. Wow. So maybe. Maybe I've um, – now, the thing, though, I know about that and I might like is just for some reason back when I was first exposed to it, I mean, I've heard a couple too. I mean, no, like if you started humming a steely – like clearly I would know, oh, that's a steely dance tune. There's a couple of – it, but um, I've never heard an album front to back by them, and I listen to musicy shitloads. So that's sort of bizarre that I haven't heard it. There was something about – what I love conceptually about what I know they do is the progressions are super interesting. Quarterly, the, pro- the progressions, a lot of jazz stuff, which I would think I'd be really into, and maybe I would be at this point in my life, but when I was exposed to it, whenever the hell I was exposed to it, whether it was high school or college, something about it I just couldn't grab onto. And it, what's funny is we'll probably finish this, this talk, and because now I'm now feeling bad saying <laughs> like, like, like anybody <laughs> from silly Dance everyday. Um, but I'm, I'm sure I'm gonna like you know go online or Spotify or something, and then I'm gonna one like tomorrow call you and text you and be like oh my god I missed out I missed out so so let's assume I've missed out okay but what, but but what I know even if I have missed out is that it's really had no influence on me
0: because okay. I just don't
2: know it the but, but, but let's go the other way the Genesis Peter Gabriel thing this actually came up Um, I was doing an interview by phone earlier today and this same. Thing came up, oh, really? and it took me a bit. Okay, so I would view the Genesis thing as different than Peter Gabriel because Genesis is still like Peter Gabriel era Genesis. Mm-hmm. I did not really come to until pretty late. You know what I mean? Like I knew him as he was going along. Like I was too young to know in real time. Peter Gabriel one, two, three, and you know one, two, and three. But I went back, and I was really familiar with all that stuff. Right? Yes. Yeah. Before I was songwriting, I was familiar. And I love, like, Peter Gabriel, what is it, three, is that the melt one where his face is, I, I love that. I yeah. The first, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the first album, even though my tune sounds nothing like it, Here Comes the Flood mm-hmm. off, the, off the first, I think it's his first solo record. I mean, it's just mind-blowingly good. Yeah. Um, so I have long liked Peter Gabriel. And then even his later stuff, it was Us. I think that's not, I'm not actually using So, which is his big one, and then there's us, which right. I really like uh, digging in the dirt and that stuff. Yeah. Um, so Genesis, I, I was being asked specifically about prog rock, and I was scratching my head going prog rock because I didn't know any like I didn't grow up listening to prog rock, whatever stuff. But I think what it, when I hear someone say prog rock or Genesis, first thing I think is a lot of noodling and soloing, right? Yeah. yeah. And even if you've only heard my record once, you know there is like no soloing or noodling. I mean. You know, that's just not my thing. But I think what it is, is there's a lot of sections to my tunes. So like a number of my tunes, this happened maybe with my older tunes even more. There's like weird sections, not just like verse, chorus, you know, bridge, whatever. But I'll have like a really bizarre, even this album thinking like helpless. intentionally have this bizarro instrumental thing happening there right yeah and clay which a couple of people have told me oh that would have been like really catchy and people would have liked that which is not really my thing anyway but you blew it and the reason i blew it, like the verse is kind of you know quote unquote catchy and then it gets progressively less catchy as it goes on which is kind of intentional i don't even have the chorus play the second half of the song i'll and tell you it's what just, there's a new part and then another new part closes the song That's probably the, I think that's maybe What the Genesis Like there are parts, right? I mean there's like so many You listen to Lamb Lies Down on Broadway And it's not just that they're noodling, it's that there's all these like Mini suites within their tune That right. is cool um, And there's think, a theme Yeah, and the theme, and the Lamb Exactly, but I think I came To that so relatively Late in my Kind of, uh, you know, my songwriting and my my songwriting is already kind of like what it is. So I don't think I think I ended up in a similar place where that stuff appealed to me. But it was probably because I was exposed to like I kind of like this cinematic or almost theatrical element to it, which I know Peter Gabriel digs. Yeah. I'm sure that's what You know, yeah. I mean that's probably true. And and um, just catching the listener, like I, I want an active listener and. You gotta be more active to follow you know multiple parts. And probably growing up because I did all the piano and stuff, I was exposed to a bunch of classical music, which is all about sweets and parts. So I, 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 so I, so I think there, but yeah, there are a couple tunes when you say Peter Gabriel, I don't know if you were thinking of any specific stuff. I don't think I sound, I don't know if I, if I'm influenced, like if it shows up in my songwriting so much, but I like the emotion. There's something about like some of his tunes the way they grab me, I mean, if I end up, you know, whether it's digging in the dirt or that song I referenced, Here Comes the Flood, that if my tunes grab people in the same way, that'd be, that'd be great. And yeah. if his influence has shown up, I don't know. I, were you thinking of any particular, I'm curious, because <laughs> i heard that till today and now I've heard it twice.
0: Oh <laughs> uh, man, I'm, I'm trying to, remember, I, it's, it's funny because these notes that I'm, I'm building off of, I'm uh, going off of the first time we were supposed to talk, which was about a oh, week yeah, and a half yeah. ago. yeah, the
2: car You had the car trouble.
0: Yeah, it. my tire blew. I was going 70 miles an hour down the highway. All of a sudden, my tire blew, and I'm on the side of the road for an hour and a half. for that's, waiting waiting that's, to- that's
2: the exact best speed for that. <laughs> Apparently, it
0: is, because <laughs> I was able to make it. I was in the left lane, and um, all the assholes in Northern Virginia would not let me go over to the right to the, go to the shoulder. So I can, so I'm riding for like half a mile on this flat tire, just trying to go and thinking, I've got this interview. I got it. What am I going to do? I got to, I got a text call. Cool. I got to, I can't just blow it off. I got to, I hope he doesn't mind me texting him. And I'm sitting there thinking that, thinking about this, looking at this blown up tire. It's nine degrees out. I've called my wife. My wife is coming down. Nobody's coming to, the, the uh, tow truck. I had all kinds of problems with the roadside assistance. I put in a request for it. They never got it. It took an hour and a half for them to get. Oh, yeah. it was it was a, a horrible night. So, um,
2: so what you're saying is this night is at least slightly better.
0: It is. It's much. It's <laughs> much better. Except I ended up having to I leave work half an hour late. So I'm sitting there going, Oh my god, I can't do this again. I can't have another problem with this. I I, I can't reschedule on call. Again, he, he'll kill me, and uh, I, I won't forgive myself. So I'm, I'm trying to remember what track it was that I, I was thinking of when I when I wrote that down, but it's it's escaping me. But I will tell you right oh, now. Oh, No worries, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Yeah, oh yeah. no, well see, that's what I'm doing for you. This whole interview, I'm just putting you. I'm on expecting the spot it, right? <laughs> um, I I do. Well, you mentioned the song Clay off your your album Carnival
2: Barkers. Think about what you're gonna say now Wind them up till trouble comes Tell them that you've always won You get a thrill And if they figure out You put them on Well, you made a clay So we know you'll find a ship to use To come back anytime you want
0: That is my favorite song on the whole album. I love that oh. track. I love It's got that, that like a Almost, it's like a soft chugging guitar riff, which I I really like, and then you've got that wild uh, that synth solo at the end. Yeah, that it, that <laughs> I love that. And maybe maybe that's what I was thinking was was a little more Genesis influence. But
2: it is yeah, it, definitely that or the break. I, I, I can hear. I know you're that and the break in flood. We're in the middle of flood. Everything drops out, and there's this weird like a horn coming in. It's I mean yeah. yeah, they're definitely like changes that are that are pretty dramatic and different than you might expect in a regular kind of indie pop song I guess.
0: yeah yeah and 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 that's i'm sure that's what i was thinking when i wrote these notes yeah.
2: i'm sure yeah that's what no I was no <laughs> excellent, work. excellent work yeah so, so, so I, I, to, to go to your you know your the, the influence question i mean i'll try to keep Brief. So, so I'm sure Peter Gabriel shows up. I've liked him for a long time. I'm sure that's showing up somewhere somehow, even if I can't put my finger on it. Um, I do know uh, for a while, my my like teenage years, I was really into like late '70s, early '80s Britpop, New Wave, Post Punk, wow. and so this would be the whole category of music like Squeeze, XTC, uh, first two albums, Elvis Costello. Okay. Uh, And and there's something about the way those albums I'm thinking of, like, you know, they're all kind of, you know, there's a lot of like 76 through 80 there, but I'm also thinking about Imperial Bedroom, which is an early 80s Elvis Costello record where I just, I remember for a while just being really taken by how different they approached chord progressions. Again, I, I really rarely listen to lyrics. I have no idea. I mean, I could, I'm sure the lyrics were fine. It's not what's grabbing me. Like, so, but, but it was, it was the, um, their progressions were just really interesting. They were very active progressions. They were sort of restless. They move around a lot. They're pretty busy at times. In fact, I'm sure that's off-putting to a bunch of people. And I know for a while that really, again, I don't know if anyone listening would say, I've for sure never, ever heard somebody say, you sound like XTC. (laughs) So, so, like I know it's not that clear, but, but for me, I know that the way I started thinking about chord progressions, which for me is the song, yeah. like that, that's okay. kinda how I, but, um, that, that was clearly influenced by that stuff. That's, but again, I, I don't think necessarily someone hears me and says like so far, no one's ever said, Oh, you sound like any of those people I just named in fact. Yeah. so. <laughs> This is a good thing, but I know they they shaped sort of how I think about music and how I start to approach songwriting. Um, And then, I mean, I'm sure that I I pretty voraciously listen to music, so I'm sure that uh, even stuff I'm hearing over the last few years, not even just influences like from the late 70s, early 80s, or even earlier. I mean, again, I had to go back a little bit, but someone mentioned – uh, Paul Simon when they're referencing a couple of tunes of mine in terms of the, the way they heard things. And have I listened to a crap load of Paul Simon? Absolutely. Yes. Like, so I'm sure, like, so I'm sure it's, it shows up, right? I mean, just yeah. like, the, David Bowie. Is there some, somehow is David Bowie coming through in my music? You know what I mean? I wish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not as the interviewers are shaking their heads. No, there's, there's no David Bowie. Call. <laughs> um, but, but my point is it's really hard. You know what I mean? Like I can, I can point to that late seventies, early eighties stuff. Cause I kind of know that I started like almost deliberately when I was songwriting initially, I was like, again, I was almost manic with my chord progressions, okay. like just, like, I'd be playing with musicians who are like, oh, my God. Like, wh- there's just so much happening, right? But at times, it was just sort of unnecessary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, 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 anyhow, hopefully I've pared down on the worst of those excesses. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah. But I, I could spend a whole show talking about music I like. I just don't know if they've influenced, how they've influenced me. Yeah. Okay.
0: You've, you've done both uh, recording at home and recording in studios. What's Have well, you had to do anything really weird? To get this, a sound you want, I've, had a, I've spoken with a lot of different musicians doing this show, and I, I hear some weird studio stories. Like, uh, uh, recently I had a Peter Hayes on from Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, and he was talking about how to get the vocal uh, effect that he wanted on one song, he stuck his head in a piano and started singing inside the piano. And he said he actually was really disappointed because when they decided mm. to do it live... All he had to do was add reverb, and it sounded exactly the same. Have you have you done anything <laughs> really really unusual? Like stick your head in the piano to, to get your vocal sound? You know
2: that's hilarious. You know, like the engineer the whole time, he's putting his head in the piano. You yeah. guy, I'm sure you had to, and, and and some you know guys just back there going, has nobody told him about the reverb? <laughs> Don't tell him. No, this is awesome. Is someone filming this? He's yeah. got his head. He's got his head. <laughs> Oh my God! Um,
0: Have you had any weird studio yeah. experiences, or, or maybe something live that that was bizarre that happened?
2: <laughs> well, actually, live. I mean, recording nothing real dramatic. I mean, I mean, just as a general setup thing. Now with my little spare bedroom, it's sort of hilarious because I track all my vocals in there. And initially, I'm, I, I of course, was thinking, uh, boy, I got to soundproof this. I got to whatever. A, it's really pricey. Mm-hmm. B, it's not clear that it really works. Uh, meaning stuff I could really kind of realistically buy and put in there. I mean, what was it? So what happened was I was recording vocals and not really digging. I thought I'm going to have to, like, I got to go to a studio uh, and record my vocals, If I, you know? And I mean, I knew I needed to track the drums I was going to track at a studio, and I thought, all right, maybe I could do the vocals. And what's weird is, for some reason, a couple times in a row, I brought in an ironing board. Like, so... I basically put it so the, put myself in a corner, uh, not corner, but, you know, sort of at an angle, at an angle from one of the corners Okay. facing out into the room. Right. So I got the corner behind me, one of the corners of this, fortunately not exactly a square. That would be not good. (laughs) Um, and, uh, And behind me, I was like putting blankets and all this and whatever. And what's weird is I randomly grabbed an ironing board Clearly I don't iron and, uh, cause I could permanently install it in here uh, and, um, and I put it down. And then what I did was I stacked a couple like old guitar boxes on top of it and then put the blanket. So I discovered later, part of what's happening is I'm getting the blanket far enough off the wall. You don't really want it on the wall. You need a little bit of space from the wall to create the effect you want in terms of, of, of the, of the soundproofing. And so this ironing board, uh, worked. I mean, so actually on, on the credits, either on the actual CDs or on the thing, I think I called my little space, the ironing board recorded at the ironing board. So I have this, but this is a really finicky thing. It's a, I mean, it's a fucking ironing board yeah. <laughs> so depending on what I put on it. It can't handle the weight or the way I've distributed it. And the worst was I bought one condenser mic for my vocal and I think a week into my ownership of this mic, that's about when I figured this out. I came in ready to record some vocals. The mic was down, bashed in, because the ironing board had wiped out with the boxes and the weight of the blanket directly on the mic stand and the mic. So, oh. but I found it so good that I put it back up cussing yeah. uh, and, and and used the broken mic though. So the whole album was recorded on a, you know, a busted mic with an ironing board Behind me is my soundproofing But Ian, who's a great racer, I mean, Ian works at this High-end recording studio. even he was like I told a story, he can't believe he's was like The vocal actually sounds pretty good <laughs> you know? But it's a friggin' ironing board <laughs> I mean, I that it's just basics to Like, you know, playing guitars With, like, combs I remember being in the studio, trying to get a specific guitar sound And, you know, playing it with a comb Or playing you know, weird stuff like that But I gotta say, I got pretty lazy in my little studio, you know, using just virtual amps and everything. I didn't do any really creative stuff. I sure as shit didn't sing in any pianos or anything. Um, <laughs> yeah, on, on the road, when you say that, that, there's actually so two things come to mind. One, actually, a little on the road story. The only one that's probably that's jumping to mind that's actually sort of funny is uh, we were on one of the tours. It was like a couple week leg, this you know years ago. This is for scarves and knives. Okay. And so all of us were coming out of this Durham area and we had been, I don't know, we we're a week, week and a half in. Uh, none of us, I don't think, had played, or I hadn't played Baltimore before. We were playing Baltimore. We weren't in, I wish I could remember the name of the club, or maybe it's better that I don't remember the name of the club because then I can more freely talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> so so we we—it's it's an area that um, – it's not like in the main area of Baltimore. So first we're a little bit like thrown, like, where are we? You know, whatever I mean, we're unloading and I pull up and there's just a lot of activity, like too many, too many things being unloaded. If you know what I mean? I'm like, what the hell? There's like a two or three band bill. I'm like, what? there cannot be this much equipment. And so <laughs> so I, I, so we're supposed to be, you know, I don't know. I don't remember what time we're supposed to go on, but I go in and, and the person who booked me is not there and, and the person at the, you know, the bar says, uh, oh no, we got you, we got you on the bill, uh, tomorrow night. Um, what? Your head- yeah, I was, I was like, yeah, you're headlining tomorrow night. Oh, um, the next time we were in Philly or something, you know what I mean? Like we're not headlining the next yeah. night. I pull out my email, you know, where I have, you know, the, the correct date and they're like, yeah. Oh shit, we really screwed up. They get on the phone with the, uh, person who booked me. She's super apologetic. I mean, I, so at this point, we're all trying to laugh about it, but we're in Baltimore. <laughs> and, and so, so she proposes, she says, look, well, this is, you'll, you'll get a kick out of this, given what you just describe, how you describe my music at the outset, how you listen to stuff. that's usually a little harder than this. So it was metal night. So <laughs> what she suggests <laughs> is that he be included in metal night. Oh uh, and and she says you can look. You're supposed to have like, you could take the middle spot. We feel really bad, so we agreed. So we. Played. <laughs> so so it was yes. definitely the most bizarre gig on that leg of the tour. <laughs> Here's the funny thing is the funny thing is, it was probably our best show of of the run because what happened? Well. Part of it was we just really brought in, so, so I don't know about the other guys. For me, I kind of went on stage pissed. I very rarely go on stage pissed, right? I mean, like, wow, well, how often do you go on stage angry about something? I'm just not that, angry. usually I'm just like, oh, this is cool, hopefully they will be into it. Um, but we we played my tunes so quickly. <laughs> so, and I'm sure the guys were all like, this is great. We love how the tunes sound. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, it still didn't sound metal. My songs were still my songs, but, um, you know what was awesome is that was the night where I don't think I'm misremembering this. The other people in the band, I mean, they kind of knew what happened, but they were like the coolest, like they listened, they liked it, you know, they could have been bullshitting, but they were like, Oh my God, it's so different. I mean, probably it is totally different than they're used to playing. Totally. Yeah. It's metal night, man. <laughs> so, uh, um, it actually turned out to be a great night. The, um. The other, other, Oh gosh! Yeah. So the rest of the tour was pretty uneventful. That that leg. Like,
0: uh, since yeah. metal night, have you ever have you gotten into any metal?
2: No, I don't know. I, I should. I should. I should probably book more metal nights, even <laughs> if I don't get into. Metal. It's not even about playing it. I need to. I need to get in the midst of a metal bill. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it really brings out the best of me and my band. See, look at that.
0: If I can help you out with that in any way, if you when you come to D.C., <laughs> I know a couple metal bands. We'll, we'll get you right that's in the so, middle of them.
2: That's, that's fantastic. Good, thank you, Mark. Oh man, <laughs> well, Cole, look, I've
0: I've kept you quite a while tonight. I want to thank you so much for coming on and, and telling me these hilarious stories. It was great, and and uh, explaining a little bit about the album. It, it's uh, it's fascinating. If you do get decided to go out on tour I definitely want to come ca- catch it if you come to the d c northern virginia area love to to, to see the live show because I did hear your your album uh, at Shuba's and I thought it was great so I would love to oh, hear I would love to hear yeah. you live actually in person
2: yeah thank you was that so is that one of the things they have posted from their live series or whatever from Shubas? Yeah, is it I so. was I solo there do you remember or was I, I playing with some people
0: um I believe you i believe there were some people with a band
2: okay yeah because i've done both there i was just wondering i should look to see what's up there but yeah yeah Yeah. shuba's shuba's is a great just a sweet venue yeah Yeah. that's a great yeah
0: yeah i I found it i was trying to find some uh some of your scarves and uh scarves and knife stuff on youtube and uh that's what popped up so i was like oh oh oh, cool let me me check this out so (laughs) So that's so I did get a chance to listen to some of that. Um where can people find you on social media, um website, anything they can do to to buy the album, help support it, um see you if you do go out on tour.
2: Uh yeah, absolutely. So the um the website is the, the name of the uh, of the uh, of my band, I guess. So I am casting music. So it's just one, you know, word I am casting music. And from there there's all the buttons you could press uh, <laughs> to get you to the Bandcamp page, the, the Spotify, Apple stuff, YouTube. Um, pretty much if you search I am casting and then the name Carnival Barkers, that'll probably pull up the videos too. There's a couple of videos on YouTube now for Flood and Window that were premiered over the last month or two. Um, I know Pop Matters is premiering the album later this week. The album officially comes out February 22nd. I think Pop Matters is running like a review and interview and premiere thing this Friday or this Thursday that'll that'll sit out there for a week and then the actual album come out. As far as social media, um uh, I'm I'm I've been pretty horrible about that. I'm just getting started. But the uh both uh, Facebook and Twitter stuff starting to happen. Um and uh oh yeah, it'd be awesome if people actually showed up on those sites and did things like followed and liked. So that way if I decide to start tweeting, it will be a little less uh humiliating. Yeah. Um so uh the I think it's I think the Facebook thing is just I wanna say it's just IAC. Uh but you probably again, you can just go Facebook, I am casting, and I know that the handle at Twitter is Uh, I am casting. Uh, No, it's, I am casting music. So I am casting music pretty much. By the way, Mark, what happened with this is that I realized that I am casting is a casting agency. Of course. (laughs) It's not Harvey Weinstein, is it? There's two, there's competing casting. There's an I am casting in the UK and an I am casting in the U S so that's why I had to be, I am casting music with all my links you know, I, you know. At first, I was like, "Oh man, is this could be like a patent issue come But because they're not doing music, there's no conflict. It's just the problem is all these sites have to add this music thing. So yeah, um, yeah. You
0: don't you don't want people searching Harvey Weinstein and finding
2: right, <laughs> right. Or, or looking I,
0: for you and finding Harvey Weinstein either way.
2: Yes, yes. But the uh, but yeah. So the album's called Carnival Barkers, and um and I I if anyone uh, cares to give a listen, that'd be awesome.
0: Well, I recommend it. it. It's fantastic. Me being more of a metal guy, liking <laughs> it, you know, it was good. We'll see if we can get like, if it Kerrang or one of those metal magazines from the 80s can, can do a review on it.
2: <laughs> <That'd be laughs> <weird. laughs>
0: right, Coleman, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really do appreciate your time. I had a blast.
2: Mark, thank you.